startups that are bootstrapped, they're really businesses already. The problem is when you do that, you're most likely going to hire awesome people who are going to do awesome things. To me, that's that's maybe there's a way to just kind of start over a little bit. Hey, listener, this is Adam Beta. My name is Peter Soom, and my co-host is Matt Wensing. Matt is the founder of Summit, and I'm the founder of Reform. And on this podcast, you get to follow along on our startup journeys. Don't forget to check out our website on adabeta.fm to find our entire back catalog and other resources, including our Start Here page for new listeners. Let's go. Hey, Matt. Hey, Peter. How's it going? It's going about as well as the last time you asked me. It's going good. <laughs> hey. Don't uh, don't spoil it. <laughs> I um, yeah, it, we got a special episode today. Might as well just say. So um, I uh, I had a really good conversation with uh, Lewis Nichols about newsletters. Yeah, I I thought I will just like give you a quick idea about what we talked about and uh, cool. why. I hope you'll listen to our conversation. I mentioned a few episodes ago that I was thinking about starting a newsletter. It kind of started out when I just saw the rev- review Twitter thing where you can just add a newsletter sign up thing to your uh, Twitter account, yeah. which I really liked. Interesting thing, Lewis said that it didn't really move any needles or do anything <laughs> for you. So um, that's what they see in their numbers at least. But I, it, hmm. it got me hooked and I, I liked the idea of, of having more of a, a defined space where I could write about some of my startup stuff. Yeah, I was just chatting to Lewis in my DMs and he um, had some really good thoughts and I was like, wait, maybe you should just come on the podcast. Perfect. So that's why you uh, you get this week off. Unfortunately, we'll have to wait another week to hear your update. <laughs> All right. Just <laughs> don't be too anxious. <laughs> Do you know Lewis? Because he used to be more of a sales uh, guy. That's how I started. Uh, no yeah, one, but no, oh, well, I, a I, newsletter guy. We had some cross chat on Twitter for sure, and then uh, we I, uh, we did a little podcast episode together, um, and it was sales that got you know that we had in common. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, yeah. it was his stuff. And he's the founder now of a SaaS called Spark Loop, which is yeah. uh, for um, basically uh, growing your newsletter by referrals, which is a great idea. So it's basically if you've seen some of the big newsletters, like I think Morning Brew, those. They have all these referral mechanisms. Um, mm. Sparkloop could do those in a, okay. in a clever way. Nice. Yeah, so uh, it's been interesting to follow his journey. Um, this In this podcast episode was very egotistically focused on me <laughs> and not on him. <laughs> well, that's good that I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, if you've ever thought about like doing a newsletter, if you're just curious about like learning more about it, I didn't know much about it, so I just had a ton of like newbie questions and... Uh, yeah, Louis was kind enough to come on and um, and talk to me about it. So um, I think that's just what we're going to roll now. Cool. And um, I just want to mention that Snapshooter is our sponsor this month. They are giving a generous 50% off for the first six months if you sign up for a paid plan. They also have a free plan. If you just want to try it out, you can get one back up for free. It's a great service. I've used it for years. And now I've been talking about it for four episodes in a row. So everyone who's listening to this podcast know that they should sign up even if they already have backups because they'll add some extra redundancy to their backup setup that they have currently. So uh, thank you, Snapshooter. And uh, hey, Lewis. <laughs> Lewis, thank, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, Excited uh, to be here. Yeah, we were um, 
this conversation started in Twitter DMs, and um, I had I had a sense that it might be end up being an interesting conversation for other people to kind of join in on, and and I know that our listeners like to sit on sit in on conversations like this one. So I asked you if you wanted to come on the podcast and talk about newsletters, which was what we were going to talk about on Twitter, and uh, you were kind enough to take out an hour of your day. So thank you for that. Yeah, always happy to to jump on a podcast, and I I love talking about newsletters. It's what I do all day, every day, and uh, normally people find that very boring. So if someone asks and wants to talk about that, then I'm all all happy to to jump in for that. Yeah, I mean uh, you are sort of turning into the newsletter guy, but I was just kind of thinking where when you first popped onto my radar on Twitter, and I think you were doing sales for founders, and uh, I remember listening to your podcast. I'm not sure if you're doing that still. It's it's not coming up in my feed at least very often um but i used to really enjoy that podcast uh, you had some really interesting episodes I've, i think there's a lot of uh, good lessons there in the in the back catalog if uh, if people want to check that out but uh, I, i feel like back then i had two labels you were doing sales for founders so and you were living in switzerland and now you are doing spark loop which is feels like very different from kind of sales thing i think you might be doing sales for that <laughs> but um the product is not very sales uh, oriented and you're in portugal right so can you just kind of <laughs> help me connect those two uh <laughs> points in time maybe yeah definitely so i i started sales for founders because i was bored basically i had just sold my last company not for a particularly interesting or uh, impressive exit um, and I didn't really know what to do and I ended up kind of just helping out other founders doing some consulting here or there and eventually that turned into sales for founders basically and I really really enjoyed doing that and I did it for a year and I had really big plans for it and then all of a sudden I had kind of started playing around with Sparkloop as a side project with a friend, now my, my co-founder Manny, and all of a sudden it kind of got crazy and took off and I had to spend all my time on that. So sales for founders, I said, well, I'm just going to take like a couple of weeks where I won't do the podcast, I won't do the course, I'll I'll come back to it in a couple of weeks when things die down. And that couple of weeks turned into a couple of months, turned into probably like a year and a half now. And it's funny you bring up sales to founders because no no one's mentioned sales to founders to me for like months, probably like a year at this point. But I finally decided, look, I'm never going to continue with this. Somebody should continue with it. So let's put it on micro acquire and try and sell it basically to someone who's who's interested in in teaching people how to do sales. So I don't know when this is going live, but assuming that this is live at some point in April, Uh, you should probably check over to MicroAcquire if you'd like to teach people how to do sales because uh, there will be a nice kind of starting project waiting for you with uh, everything you need to kind of hit the ground running. So oh, that's I, cool. I, 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 I hope idea. I'm allowed to do some <laughs> some advertising Always. for it. There. That was the, the <laughs> sneaky. Yeah, it was, it was a, a, a quick decision last night that, that I decided to do. But it's uh, yeah, it should be up there this week. And Sparkle um, is yeah. a tool for a newsletter publishers exactly yes Sparkloop is basically a referral tool referral software built specifically for media brands and for newsletter publishers so make it very very easy to grow your email audience using word of mouth using referrals using ambassadors things like that 
Um, I'm currently based in Portugal. I kind of like being on the, the European time zone. I like being close to family who are in Switzerland, but I also don't love the Swiss weather and I like the sea more than the mountains. So uh, Portugal is like the, the best of both worlds for me right now. Nice. Yeah, Portugal is awesome. I, I hope to go there soon. I've been a few times. Cool. Um, and the reason we were having a conversation on Twitter was um, because I recently said on Twitter that I was going to have a newsletter uh, for myself. And I was talking to you about um, some of my, my plans for that and some of the stuff I was kind of just trying to think through like different things. And, and my first approach was maybe I should just send you like a big dump of all my thoughts. <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe you should just come on the podcast and then we can just kind of talk it out. Because um, I, have, I have a lot of ideas around newsletters, but I don't, I don't have much experience. And um, I mean, it just feels like you see a lot of newsletters. <laughs> so uh, it would be good to kind of pick your brain. That, this was kind of like the what happened before <laughs> we had recorded today, I guess. And uh, you don't know much more <laughs> than that. No, I'm I'm a listener to the to the podcast, so I I've picked up bits here and there on my yeah. on my walks on my Wednesdays. But uh, yeah, I would I would love a bit more background. Yeah, um, and I have 60 subscribers already just from uh, <laughs> from that tweet. So uh, I feel like I actually have to do it now. Um, but yeah, I um, so lately I've just been kind of thinking uh, that I wanted to do more with the podcast. We've talked about that on previous episodes, so regular listeners will know. That is something Matt and I have been planning to do. Uh, we have sponsors now for the podcast and I'm spending some more time like just kind of like professionalizing it a little bit and just take it more seriously. And I've kind of had an urge to do the same thing for kind of my own brand, if 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 you will. Like I don't have a lot of followers, but I, I think I have close to 3,500 followers on Twitter Um there are a decent amount of listeners for this podcast as well. So it's just, it's more and more people that follow me. And um, like just as, as an example, like with Reform, the product that I'm working on now, um, almost all of our customers just came from like people who follow me on Twitter or listen to the podcast. So it's, it's, it's big enough now that I can use kind of that audience to start new projects and kind of kickstart things. And, and it just feels like, a good time to kind of start to think about what that means and maybe nurture it a little bit and and just like what if Twitter shut down my account or if I was no longer on Twitter or it just disappeared or something like that then I would lose kind of my connection to all these people newsletters is a really good fix to that problem because you have people's email addresses um, and with tools like review on Twitter like all it takes is people click a button and you basically just get their email address from their Twitter account. So there's very little friction there and it's an easy way for people to kind of have an opportunity to stay in touch with you just besides Twitter. So I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I've also, this is like something every developer, every, I think every developer have these kind of cycles of like, I need to redo my personal site and start blogging again. And I'm in one of those right now and I have some stuff I want to do in terms of writing and I so I'm trying to think about how all this kind of plays together um, 
a third uh, kind of interesting thing is recently, and I, we should talk about this as well, I sponsored a bunch of newsletters for Reform. So I got to talk to a lot of different newsletters, uh, creators, and um, both like people I ended up sponsoring, but also a lot that just like kind of reached out or was tagged on Twitter. And I, I checked out what they were doing. And some of these are like, like they don't have that many subscribers. Like they have definitely have less subscribers than I have followers on Twitter. And, and they have like one or two sponsors every week that are paying hundred, two hundred dollars, something like that. So I started doing the math and it's like, it's actually, it's, it's nice to have a newsletter. So you kind of have an audience that you can kind of mobilize for new projects and stuff like that. But it's also nice because if you are in between things, like it can also, it can almost be a job, like just like, do the newsletter, put up, bring on some sponsors, like we're doing with the podcast. Like if you have a podcast and a newsletter and like you're actually, and, and, and not that many listeners and that many followers, you can actually make like enough money that it's worth it or you can hire people to help you stuff like that so that's kind of like the final thing is would be cool if it was like good enough or professional enough that i could have sponsors for it so that, that that's kind of like some of the thoughts i've been having like does that kind of make sense or do you have any kind of clarifying questions about that or is it making you think anything or yeah um a lot to a lot of different questions to unpack there a lot of different <laughs> different stuff coming yeah, out for sure i think yeah the the interesting thing or the, the most interesting thing that there are two things that stand out to me there really um one which i'll come back to later is that you mentioned the word professional and i think professionalism is like really the key when it comes to newsletter stuff and maybe we can talk a little bit about that at some point um more interestingly I, to begin with like i think what you're talking about is really about like more of the personal brand, right? And how a yeah. newsletter can fit into the personal brand. And I might be a little bit disappointing for you today in that I, I don't think that a newsletter for a personal brand is actually that important. I think collecting the email addresses is super important. I'm starting believe, to believe more and more that publishing regularly on your own blog, for example, on your own site, is super important. I don't, I'm not super bullish on the concept of like just a personal newsletter, really. I, I think it's, it depends how you do it, but I think they're, they're very difficult to, to monetize. And also it's, I see very few people who can pull it off successfully, who can just because of the nature of email, right? Like it's very, very good to have people's, people's email addresses to email them with stuff. Email is in effect, it is kind of like a to-do list app, right? Like you, you go into your inbox and it, it's kind of like your to-dos. So a lot of the, the kind of updates and interesting stuff that's happening in your thoughts and all that kind of stuff that plays really well on Twitter, I think it doesn't actually do particularly well in an email format. And I think podcasts are great for that. You know, people love to tune in and hear like, what's going on in your life, how are things going, what are your thoughts, what are you learning, that sort of stuff. I think the same for Twitter and to certain extents like other social channels as well. I think newsletters, in my opinion, the good ones, the successful ones, they tend to be a lot more concrete in like the value proposition for the reader. So it's mm. less about here's me and my thoughts and you're signing up to get that every week and more about 
I'm going to focus on like a specific topic or I'm going to provide value in this way or I'm going to give you an insight into this thing. And that can be personally branded. That can have its own standalone brand. But I think it has to be quite self-contained. I think it's, it's really useful to make that distinction between like you can create a blog, you can get people's, like capture people's email addresses, which is a really smart thing to do. You can send them emails, maybe even like on a regular basis, but that isn't a newsletter. A newsletter is like a, a very specific, or it should be a very specific thing, like a thing that you sign up for and you know exactly what you're getting each week, basically. That's super interesting. It, it, it's kind of, it leads up nicely to kind of like the next thing I, I have on my list here, or question if if you will. But basically, so on Twitter, when I when I tweeted out that I was going to do a newsletter or an email, list, I don't, I think I said newsletter. I mentioned that it was going to be about SaaS and startups, and and when I think about me, like as a, as a person, like I've had a lot of different different interests in my life and things that I was kind of like known for. In my early twenties, I had a one of the most popular uh, paleo diet blogs in Denmark that I was super into. And there's very little overlap with like what I'm doing now, um, and if if I had like if I had a big exit or something like that, I could see myself be like the I go out and fish and sit by the lake kind of guy, right? And and not the SaaS guy. Um, so so one thing I was like one of the first things like I was trying to figure out is is it gonna be like the Peter Zoom newsletter? Or is it going to have a brand, like its own brand? Like out of beta, this podcast has a brand. And, and, and it's important to Matt and I that it's kind of its own brand. It's not it's not a, a reform thing or a summit thing. Like it's, it's its own thing that Matt and I, it's a project Matt and I has together. Um, and, and I think that kind of relates to what you were just saying. Because if, if I create a newsletter and it's like specifically... As a, it's branded as a SaaS newsletter with my thoughts. So it's me, it's me as a person, right? My thoughts on SaaS, for example. But it has its own brand. It is has a much, it's much easier to later, you know, do a different one about another thing I'm interested in or sell this one if I'm no longer interested in it. Like you were just saying you were planning to do with sales for founders, um, which is not necessarily just a newsletter, but it's, a course and a, an ebook and, and a podcast and stuff like that but it's still the same idea i guess so it, yeah that's super interesting that you were making that distinction yeah i think i think it really is important i think the newsletter or the thing it should be self-contained it just makes it easier it means people can opt into different you know things that you want to say and i think it focuses you on really creating the value for the person who's going to be reading it right if you have a brand if you have, if it has a a tagline you know this is what it is this is what you're signing up for this is what you're opting into i think that makes it like the, the likelihood of the value being higher is is you know is much higher yeah. plus also easier to get sponsors easier to convince people to pay for it easier to you know keep the open rate high you don't have to worry about like you know uh, well, I really want to write about this this week, but it doesn't really fit into, you know, what people are there for. Well, just yeah. go and write it somewhere else, right? Just don't send that email, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I really like that. I think that that kind of clicks with me. I'm, I'm always trying to think how my, like, personal side kind of plays into this, but I think maybe a personal side can just be, like, 
a place where people find all your different projects <laughs> and or even like syndicates like all the stuff you write around the internet um so because some some stuff is just good for a twitter space or a podcast or a newsletter or a blog article um yeah that's really interesting like the yeah. another thing i was sorry i was just gonna say i think the what's challenging is it always has to like there is a there is really there is high value to your personal brand attached to that right so there are thousands of newsletters about startups and SaaS, like probably tens of thousands out there probably most of the stuff that has been will be could ever be written about this stuff has already been written at least or, or, or touched on in some way so people like th there's no market need for a newsletter on SaaS and startups what it's going to be is like they want to hear your perspective your opinion your unique kind of take and thoughts and suggestions on that stuff right so you do need the personal element in there i think to begin with at least but i kind of see it a lot more like you know those you see like influencers on instagram who they have their long, large personal brand people follow them and on that personal kind of instagram account that they have they will be promoting the i don't know the the yoga mat store that they have plus the courses that they have plus i don't know the retreat that they do and um some sponsors and maybe they have a, a podcast as well all that kind of stuff which has its own brand and, and stuff and i think that approach there's no reason that can't work even for you know someone with a couple of thousand twitter followers right like as, as a personal brand i think you do have the personal brand but then you have the self-contained items that kind of you have that sort of reinforcing loop of it gets value from the personal brand where you get the personal perspective. That's how you get people in there. But also it's self-contained. It's not kind of cluttering and kind of polluting the, the personal feed, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one, well, maybe when we're, well, we're on this topic, like, the, so the thing I did is I signed up for review because it's now owned by Twitter and it allows you to have this neat call to action on your Twitter bio that people or your Twitter profile that people can just click and then they join your newsletter and it's it's super easy to get people to sign up and so do you would you just kind of use that to like promote your current thing or like the thing you most want people to sign up for or would you have like would you actually have because you said it was important to collect those email addresses like would you have that as like at as a separate thing like a this is just like a, a way for people to give me their email address, not my newsletter about this or that, but just like a way for them to like sign up for me to one day, like email them if I need to. It's a good question. So I don't think there's any harm in having the review connection to Twitter, right? Where you get that little card that pops up, pops up in your profile. People can click on it with one click. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think, you know, you can have quite a generic thing there. And maybe the welcome email that comes through, you have different options for where they can go and, you know, sign up for other things and stuff like that as well. Like anywhere that you can capture email addresses, do it. You know, it's, it's a good idea. Yeah. It's never going to be never going to be a bad idea. That said, I, I think that the Twitter review connection at the moment is still like really, really overhyped. We've been testing it a lot and I don't use it myself. Um, I mean, it takes like 20 minutes to set up and it hasn't been interesting enough to me for it to be worth that amount of time and there, there are a couple of different reasons for that the first one is 
if you think about like what's happening, basically Twitter is sending to review the email address that you used when you created your Twitter account. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's not the email address that you use to read um, newsletters on. It isn't for me. A lot of people, you know, they they don't even remember what email address they used to sign up for for Twitter, or it's one that they use for like actual emails rather than newsletters. So the like the open rates and the quality of the email addresses that you get through there, yes, there's a little bit less friction, but the quality of them is is really low in general. Then you also have to factor in like, okay, so it's on your profile. Now go and look at like all the tweets that you write and the impressions that they get, and then look at the number of impressions you get on your profile. And for most people you get, I can't remember whether it's 10 to 50 or 50 to 100 times more impressions on your tweets than you do on your profile in, in any given month. So even if the conversion rates are slightly better with having, I mean, even if they were 10 times better with that little button that you can use to click through, just including a link to sign up to your landing page, like to your landing page where you're, you know, where people can put their email address in at the bottom of popular tweets, at the bottom of threads that you write, for example, that's going to be so much more effective that the review button just, it, it it's irrelevant, basically. Like it doesn't move the needle in any way. So unless you are someone who has such a large Twitter following and people are so often like clicking through to your account that it's worth it. Um, I, I, I really don't pay much attention to it right now. I, I think there's, you know, there's obviously stuff that they could do, like they could make it easier to add to threads and stuff. And, um, it's, it's not of zero value, but it, it's definitely not like a, a game changer right now. That's, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I noticed that I had it for a few days before I tweeted about it, and I got like one sign up in those days uh, before I mentioned it. So yeah, I don't think a lot of people saw it <laughs> until I told them that it was there. I did notice that some people had like different, like they had like a plus newsletter kind of in their emails when they were signing up. So I think there must be a way to change. Like they, they're going to ask you, I think, to confirm that it's that email you want or if you want to add another one. Um, but yeah, most people probably just click through and then it's like for my own Twitter account. It's my high school Gmail account <laughs> that I don't really use much. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I thought of it just as like a catch-all for like just to... If people see it, they can click it. And I actually don't plan on using review necessarily for the newsletter. Um, but I thought you can always like pipe them into another tool with Zapier or something like that. So it's just a database right now for our newsletters. Or yeah, I mean, there's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with doing it. It's just it, it doesn't move the needle anywhere near as much as I think that like people were really excited about it. Yeah. And we've tested and it just it's not moving the needle really for anybody right now in a, like yeah. a, a meaningful way. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, the, one more thing, like relating to this, uh, I, the thing I'm still trying to figure out with, but now like we're kind of changed the scope a bit of how, what kind of newsletter I'm starting because I think it's going to be more of a, it's going to be more of a product, right? It's going to be my thoughts on SaaS, and that's mm -hmm. kind of what people are signing up for or startups, and because um, one thing I was kind of thinking is kind of like I was in my head kind of thinking on one side there's like review where it's more of roundups or like uh you find interesting things on the internet and you put it in the newsletter and you share it with people or 
kind of I think a famous one is Tim Ferriss's uh, Five Bullet Friday, um, or more of a Substack where it's it's basically your blog that people are just subscribed to via email, basically, which I kind of like more. Um, but the the articles I'm planning to write, I was kind of just planning on putting them on my own personal site, so then it's kind of weird if there's a newsletter as well where it's the same content um but it's it's if the newsletter is is its own brand it needs its own website is basically what i'm thinking so like then the the content should go there but maybe that's better actually when i'm thinking about it now because one is more of a like i want people's email addresses so i gotta provide them some sort of value so i'm gonna come up with like five interesting things every week that i'm just like putting together an email and sharing or the other is more like as you said like a product <laughs> or um uh, yeah does that make sense yeah i mean i think that like newsletter is just a delivery mechanism at the end of the day right as far as i'm concerned like it's a self-contained kind of like this is what's inside thing so i kind of approach this as thinking yes like if you're going to commit to a newsletter as a product and you're thinking about monetizing it in some way, then you want a regular cadence. You want to be in the same way as you would with the product. You want to know exactly who is the audience for this. What is the value? I like to think of it as like, what is the transformation, right? Like they sign up to the newsletter and at the end of reading it every week or every day or every month, this is what has changed in their, in their lives, right? That's how I like to think about it in, in most cases. And I don't think, you, you know, Yes, like the newsletter is just a delivery mechanism. So you can have the exact same content like on your own blog. Maybe you categorize it in a way so that people who are coming from the newsletter can find it. Um, You probably have tweets about it if it's good content. Maybe it's on the podcast as well. Uh, It's probably in a couple of different tweets. Maybe you even write about it then on LinkedIn and on Medium and, you know, put it in all the places basically where it can be found. I think there's no danger unless you have a paid newsletter where what you're sharing is like really exclusive and people really are paying for the content, which almost never happens. That's really, really rare. Um, unless you have that case, then I would be you think viewing the newsletter itself just as a, a delivery mechanism, basically. So probably starting off with tweets, like trying to think in public, seeing what has resonance, seeing what pushback you get, seeing who kind of jumps into the conversation building that out then into uh, probably a, a, a blog post or a reformatted thread or something, then into a blog post and then into the newsletter. And the newsletter, obviously, it can be long-form content. I've seen that work really well, as long as it's not too much. You know, maybe like a, a four to five minute read works really well in the inbox or just kind of like a, a custom kind of preamble for people in the newsletter and then sending them through to the, the blog to read it and then through to maybe to Twitter to, to kind of talk about it and, and give their own thoughts and, and stuff like that. I, I really don't think that, like the reason in most cases why people are signing up for the newsletter is so that they don't lose the future content, right? They're like, oh, I found this cool mm-hmm. thing. I want to read it. Um, but I know I'm not going to remember to come back next time that the blog is updated and check every Friday to see if there's something new. So it's just an easy, convenient way for them to get the content you know, to the place that they prefer to read it, basically. Yeah. This, it's starting to click for me much more now. I really appreciate that you kind of are giving me the the 101 here because I I was having a really hard time for some reason to try to, like, wrap my head around all this. But 
I think what I'm leaning towards now is definitely more like. So so, I want to block more, but I it. I, I don't feel like I have a good place to put that right now. And I also like the idea of getting people's email addresses and I like the idea of potentially monetizing it and just kind of keeping my options open. And it definitely seems like the most obvious thing to do is like, I'm actually starting a, a blog, like its own, it's, its own brand and has a, like you can sign up for the newsletter version of that. And who knows, like maybe there's a podcast version of that. It could just be the blog post like in Audible uh format maybe so yeah that's that makes a lot of sense to me um so and i also get to come up with a name then for it which is always fun yeah you, you can say that i i hate naming things that is my my <laughs> weakness it's my like my, my biggest weakness is having to name things i'm i should never be allowed to do it i'm terrible at it yeah but that, but that's cool like and when it's kind of contained in its own thing it's also easier to change your mind like if you if you don't want to do it anymore and want to do something else like it's very much like your name or in your your own personal website or so like just kind of more awkward in the in the sense um yeah i like that yeah so uh we're talking about snapshooter this month there's something else about snapshooter that i find fascinating i've had similar experiences with business and i've i've seen so many people in the sort of indie hacker space have this situation where snapshooter started out so now it it backs up everything but the core of it and the main business is for DigitalOcean backups even though it supports AWS and all these other things. Snapshooter is a backup for DigitalOcean. This is like the origin, at least. Mm-hmm. And that means that Simon has one potential partnership, which is with DigitalOcean. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same for a lot of indie hack- hacker businesses where it's something for Notion or something for Trello or whatever. And it's really interesting to kind of think about like the leverage in that because it's hard to say, well, if you don't want to play along, I'll just go somewhere else because you can't really do that if your product yeah. is built on top of theirs. <laughs> that's Have a fact. Have you seen that as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's always a risk. And I think th- there's really very little you can do about that after the fact other than maybe copy paste and go to other places. But if you're if the product's complete and you can't go elsewhere, that's a fundamental risk. And you know the only thing you can do is just make yourself the favorite who sometimes gets away with this. If you think about like a game developer who builds games for a certain platform, platform or console it's really tough but if you can be like the must-have game of every year right? if you can be the Fortnite of the thing then sure maybe you have a special privilege you basically have to be the the star of that ecosystem and it's extremely unlikely like taylor swift did this with spotify <laughs> as we know like yeah. she was so powerful that she was like i'm gonna tell the platform what to do and they had to listen to her because she's the star you there might be some stuff you can do if you just absolutely blow people away and what is what is that ultimately like what's the more generic version the customer relationship that you have is actually more powerful than the customer relationship that the platform has with people. So people love this game. People love this music. People love this star. They actually love those things even more than they necessarily love Sony or Nintendo or Spotify, right? So at that point, what that brand, that platform doesn't want is they don't want their customers to find out that they, you know, they can no longer have X because 
the platform said no or because they couldn't work it out. It's like, if I'm subscribed to Spotify, you better figure it out, right? Because I, yeah. I want that. I want that music. So there's not much you can do, but if you can, you know, as they always say, if you can be that, be that yeah. for what it's worth. A few options for Simon is then, first of all, just to tell DigitalOcean he'll run away with all their customers' backups if they don't do as he says. To have or, customers be his voice, right? Which, which is yeah. the other way. It's like, have customers speak up and say, look, this is my favorite add-on. Please yeah. do X. Yeah, that's a good one. Something I had success with with Branch was to basically think of, in my case, WP Engine almost as I was working for them. I, I did so much stuff for them that weren't really related to our partnership, just like helping them out with stuff or like sharing ideas with them or like doing customer support for them, basically. <laughs> so all mm-hmm. that stuff. I think is like a good way to become like a favorite partner. Yep. I'm pretty sure I've heard Jason Cohen talk about this. And he says, mm. basically, when you're a partnership, don't expect them to give you a lot of customers if you want to have like a business development relationship with them. At least that's not going to be very interesting to them. Mm-hmm. But if you can show them that you are bringing business to them, if Snapshooter is making people pick DigitalOcean, then it becomes really powerful. That's right. I hope Simon is... Uh, very successful with uh, Snapshooter yep. and that um, people have enjoyed us talking about it here on the podcast because I think this was the last one this time. Cool. Yeah. When we were talking about review, you said that uh, it wasn't having that button wasn't very uh, needle moving. And I felt like that was actually maybe a good time to talk a little bit more about Sparkloop and maybe. I guess some stuff that you have found out is is actually needle moving for people with a newsletter. And um, I was checking out Sparkloop the other day and um, I think it's it's it feels like one of those kind of... It, it reminded me kind of sumo.com for like if you have a marketing or like a website for something and you want to th- slap on some growth hacks <laughs> for, for stuff. It, it felt a little bit like that. Like it feels like if you're serious about growing your newsletter, this is like an easy way to not have to like learn all the tricks yourself and figure out how to deploy them. You just sign up for this and there's some sane defaults for like stuff you should probably be doing um, to take it, your newsletter more seriously and try to grow it. Um, do you want to talk a bit about what you guys are doing? Yeah, we can do. I mean, we can talk more just in general about kind of, you know, what works for newsletter growth as well. I mean, we, we don't necessarily yeah. have to, to stick to Sparkloop. So, I mean, what it's we do the is the only one I know. Is, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's the, I think we basically cover like one really important channel for newsletter growth, which is word of mouth, right? And the way I think about it is like the absolute fundamentals are just you have to produce really good content, which again, it is subjective but you know when you have it, it's kind of like product market fit in a way, right? You just, people will tell you when you when, when your content is really good, you'll see it growing. And what Sparkloop basically does is we just make it really easy to track who's sharing, where they're sharing, and to incentivize them to, to share more, basically, right? We're giving them almost like a, a little bit of a sense of like community and ownership in the, in the product. And you see, I mean, I see it myself all the time, right? Like I read stuff every day that's really cool and... I know loads of people who really would like that and I don't share it because I'm lazy. And if someone would just ask me at the right time and say, hey, go share this and here's a little something to say thank you, um, it has a really, really big effect. So it's, it's, I wouldn't really call it growth hacky. Like I think of it very much as um, really more of like a fundamental, right? It's more of like that, that flywheel effect is it's something that's built into the product, right? It's, growth hack for me is more of like a, what's a short term kind of 
thing that you can do as a quick win to that's, that's not sustainable it's not long term but that's just going to get you like a little bit of a an outsized impact relative to the 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 input that you're putting in right now and for me spark loop is is kind of the opposite of that in a sense right like it's not something where you can just do it today and it's gonna like completely change everything today from today to tomorrow but over time it becomes really effective because you get more people in they share which means you get better quality subscribers coming through the door they're more likely to share because it was shared with them and so on and so on you get that really nice kind of like flywheel effect about you know with building up a, a really engaged audience yeah but i think the the more the kind of the the thing that i would say especially someone who's starting a newsletter for the first time is that and I think you're actually, this is a really good example of this because you're in kind of two camps right now. You're in the, I'm going to start this personal newsletter camp, which is, it's fun. It's cool. I'm going to blog about stuff that I find interesting. Some of it will be relevant. Some of it won't. Um, I might do it every week. I might do it three times one week and then be super unmotivated and not do it for a month. It's, you know, there's, there's not really like necessarily a commitment there and I'm going to collect email addresses and email when something cool happens. And I think that is like, that's really the origin of where a lot of newsletters and, and blogs came from, right? In like the, the late 90s, early 2000s. If you look at a lot of the really big email lists out there, this is really how they started. And I think that has filtered through to like the practice of growing a newsletter today. It's just really, really not a professional like industry. The, the best practices are just from people who kind of did it completely by accident. So the expectations that you have kind of are very similar to the expectations in the, let's say like the indie hacker bootstrap SaaS world, right? That you have to kind of go through these years of pain of customers rejecting you, of trying out like 99 different business models before you find one that suddenly takes off, right? And you've just got to do it like slog through and enjoy the pain, enjoy being at like 100 MRR for like months and months and months. And I wish Matt was here right now. He was <laughs> laughing so hard. Yeah, so it's, I mean, that is what a lot of people think. And it's what a lot of people think about newsletters as well, right? Is they think, of course, it, it should take me like, you know, months to get to 100 subscribers. And then maybe, you know, eventually I'll get to like 1,000 and then 2,000 and so on. And actually, if you look at newsletters that grow well, they burst through that. You, you do still get people who do just write for ages and eventually kind of, almost by mistake, they find something that works for them and it takes off. But really, I think you really want to be looking at newsletter growth much, much more professionally and being much, much more aggressive and saying, hey, a newsletter subscriber is worth this amount of money to me. What can I do to find more of these people, basically? And for me, like my personal things, like if I was starting a newsletter today, Firstly, I wouldn't even like start the newsletter. I wouldn't even write anything until I was absolutely sure that on the very first day that I mentioned this in the places that I know my audience hangs out, I'm going to get at least 100 subscribers, but more likely 500 to 1,000. Just from me telling the people who already like really want my content that it's there. And that would be a sign to me. Like I'm already like having impact, creating resonance in the places where my audience hangs out. Like I... This is like, you know, that, that to me is like that early proof that it's worth investing in at all. And then, yeah, and then from there, I would want to get to a point as soon as possible, really as soon as possible, where I have enough subscribers for that kind of like word of mouth organic, organic growth to take over, basically. So that means doing a lot of work, repurposing the content, you know, into threads, into memes, into everything on social media, 
putting it in all the places, making all of it available, being quite aggressive with the, you know, the, the sign up and the convert to the newsletter stuff, maybe more than you want to be long term. And also doing those paid things that basically kind of are growth hacks, right? Like that will get you another thousand subscribers today or another hundred subscribers today. And the best thing that I've seen there really is like newsletter cross promotions and newsletter sponsorships. So asking your existing audience, what else do you read? Who, which other podcasts do you, podcasts do you listen to? And then just reaching out to them and saying, Hey, can we do an audience swap? Can we maybe, you know, can I even maybe sponsor you? And you do five or 10 of those and you go from that like initial 500 subscribers that you had to five to 10,000 pretty quickly. And at that point, well, you can just let the organic stuff take over really. And you can, you know, you can grow pretty well from there. That's cool. Yeah. That, that really resonates with me. Like I don't, uh, I, I'm glad that 60 people <laughs> signed up from one tweet. Um, and it makes me pretty confident that if, if I, if I had a, an actual thing that people could check out and, and more of a value prop and, and mention it on the podcast and, and tweeted about it again. And, and there was an actual, you know, first issue that people could read. I think I could get, get, uh, to that point pretty quickly hopefully what would um, that be do what do you have an what? idea for, for what that would be the numbers no the, the the thing what would like the thing be that people would be presiding up for like what's like the the one thing yeah, every I mean, week that you could like give people i think it would be a blog post um and i'm not sure if it'd be one every week or every other week but i do like the idea of having a fixed cadence um and actually, um, which might lead us to the next topic of sponsors. Um, one of the reason, reasons I was kind of liked having sponsors is we, um, it, it, I know it would help me with being more regular because now we're taking on sponsors for this podcast and I can just tell that I'm taking it much more seriously. And I'm, because I know like for the next four months or something like that, or I think actually six months, we basically have sponsors committed already. So it's like, okay, we got to do this or someone like we have to refund someone. <laughs> so um, it just kind of changes your my at least for me, um, it adds some extra pressure that I need for stuff like this. And uh, it turns it into more of a, a job, which is in many cases good for me. Um, yeah, so um, I recently first of all, like I sp sponsored some podcasts for reform. And it was kind of random because one of the um, one of the reasons I ended up doing it um, was because so someone pitched me on their newsletter, and it was a Substack newsletter. And what I like about that is that it's also a blog, so you also get to basically sponsor a blog post, which means that Google is going to find that uh, people that Google for stuff is going to find that, and 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 you, so you're going to be you're going to be there all the time, not just the week that you sponsored the newsletter in people's inboxes, but you you have a link somewhere on the internet and some text, right? So it's actually a way to buy a link, which is not necessarily a good SEO practice. I think it still has some value because it is um, it's it's a link. It's something that people can click click through and and find your thing. So. Um, because and that worked out pretty well like we we it, i think it ended up basically costing something like a dollar per click or something like that um which is not amazing but it's also i mean i feel like that's in line with like paid advertising or something like that 
Um, and yeah, so I was just trying to find other newsletters that had the same thing. And I found that a lot of them, they didn't have act an actual website where you could read the past issues. And if they did, it was like the MailChimp archive page or something like that. That's just really, really bad. And it, it just felt like the easiest way to make it more attractive to sponsors would be to like have a nice website where they would also be featured. Um, so I guess that's like my tip to people having newsletters is like make it easy for people to see your past content and for sponsors to like, you know, feel like they get more value than just a link in an email. Um, I don't know if you've kind of had the same experience, but I also just kind of wanted to see if you had some just some tips maybe about like if you do this sponsors will hate it if you do this instead they'll love it like or if there's something like you can you can do stuff and it might just like have a negative impact on your options in the future for bringing on sponsors or selling the newsletter monetizing it in general um is there something that is maybe a good idea to think about before you start a newsletter yeah it's an interesting one um so just quickly first firstly on the like having an archive that's publicly available thing i think most newsletters should be blog first newsletter newsletter secondary um but it comes down to that kind of question of is the content that you're creating does it have longevity or is it ephemeral right are you creating content that is still going to be interesting in a month, six months, a year from now, in which case, you know, are people going to be searching for it? Are people still going to be sharing it? Great. In that case, yes, you absolutely want to be kind of like almost blog first, right? It should be that. And then the newsletter is just a delivery mechanism. I think that has been slightly underplayed over the last two or three years because the really big newsletter success stories that everyone hears about have been ephemeral content, right? They've been the daily newsletters like Morning Brew, the skim, uh, the hustle to an extent as well, where it's news related content. There is no value to them of really having like an easily publicly accessible backlink, neither for the sponsors, because who is randomly going to read what happened on like May 1st, 2021 or something, right? What was Morning Brew's take of the five minute in like information on that day? Like it, so I think that's why it has been like underplayed a bit over the last two years but for most people who aren't doing that more so like news-based stuff in the newsletter then i think it's super important to be kind of blog first so that you know people can find you like you talked about whether that's for sponsors or just for, for seo right for, for new subscribers basically searching and, and finding your stuff so totally on the sponsorship side of stuff if you are a new newsletter and you are thinking about sponsors i think there definitely are some things that you do want to do and you don't want to do and a lot of it really comes down to not being annoying to the sponsor, to be perfectly honest. So you have to put yourself in like the sponsor's shoes, right? The amount of money and like investment that they're going to put into your newsletter when it's very early stage, let's say below 5,000 subscribers, for example, it's like, it's not really like a big chunk of their cash right it doesn't it's not worth like the results they're going to get out of it even if it goes really well it's worth the money it's not worth the money and the time investment for them to figure out if it's going to be worth the money or not basically 
So you have to make it as easy as possible for them to feel confident. And that's what most beginner newsletters really don't do. So they don't know their numbers is a main one. Um, they won't be able to tell you, well, how many people, like how many unique opens do you get on average, for example, right? Like how many unique opens can I expect from my newsletter? They won't be able to tell you, well, what is like the average click-through rate? What is the average kind of, you know, open rate? Um, what is like the, the ROI that other people have seen, right? That's stuff they won't have available. They won't have like demographic stuff available. So they won't be able to tell you, well, where is my audience predominantly based? What are they most interested in? What brands do they use? That kind of thing. But they won't have collected any of that information. They won't have a good sense of it at all, which is again, for most sponsors, really important, right? Especially with a small list. And I think that is the real value of a newsletter list. If you are going to build one hoping to monetize via sponsorships, then really you want to have it super, super dialed in in terms of who the audience are and, and why they're there. Um, like, for example, at Sparkloop, we sponsor newsletters about other newsletters, so newsletters for other newsletter publishers. And we very happily pay thousands for, you know, even a newsletter with maybe 2,000, 3,000 subscribers because each of the people on that email list is a decision maker who can potentially spend five to six figures on Sparkloop. So that's like a, a real no-brainer. But there are other newsletters with 2,000 subscribers who we literally wouldn't, like it wouldn't be worth the justification of spending the time, even if it were free, to give them mm. the ad content, if that makes sense, right? Like it, yeah. it, we, we, we just wouldn't do it. So I think that probably for me would be the number one thing is like all of the stuff that you need to know in advance um, to be able to get a sponsor interested and to make it worth their while when you're early, early days. It's also the stuff that you need to know to be able to write the newsletter well anyway. So it kind of makes sense to, to know it, but that would be would be my main thing. Like there, if, you, if you're not doing sponsorships, all of that becomes less important. But if you are, then I think you really need that stuff is, is, is for me like the number one mistake that I see people making. Okay, well, that's uh, that's fairly easy, I think. <laughs> and I, I mean, I know You'd be what surprised. my own experience was. So. <laughs> my own experience, at least when I when I booked those, is like I I booked the ones where I could see what 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 will the final product look like, <laughs> and where is where do I just like put in the stuff I want to appear <laughs> in your newsletter, and where do I pay? And uh, yeah, I saw a lot of different. Um, versions of that good and bad so but yeah i can totally relate also as a sponsor myself so that makes a lot yeah. of sense um we don't have that much more time booked so i don't i don't know if you have a hard stop in t in five minutes then i'll just ask you one quick question i can go you know 10 minutes or so is fine if you want to okay cool so just like a final topic i would love to talk about a bit is um Something we've talked about on the on the podcast as well. Uh, Matt had Chris Savage of Wistia on uh, for one of the prior episodes, where they talked about basically companies like having their own media brands, and I I love that. Like maybe it's because I like naming things. So I like like coming up with little brands. Um, for when I set up the blog for Reform, I I called instead of just calling it blog, I called it the response just to have a name for it basically. And I noticed that. Um, you on the Sparkloop website, you also have, um, and I'm actually curious now with all this like 
definitions and stuff like that if you would call that a newsletter but you have something that you can put in your email for um and that is also kind of looks like a blog um that's called in the loop which is a clever name that i liked um what what how do you think about that when you're like a SaaS company and how are you, how are you using that and kind of like what are your thoughts around that and and what would you define that as yeah it's a really good question it's something that i'm thinking is about it is a it like it's... a glorified like put in your email <laughs> or is it actually its own thing it's a good question yeah it's it's the thing that that has been keeping me awake for the last like three to six months is thinking about this and my perspective on this like i i love what what they're doing at Wistia, I think ProfitWell, obviously, probably the, the best mm. at this that I've seen. They would be the, the ones that I, kind of, I try and model everything after. Another that is really good is um, is what um, Andrew is doing at MicroAcquire. I think, you know, they have their right. bootstrappers.com. I think that is really well done. Like the, the media arm of their business is, is for how lean they are as a team is just super impressive and how early stage they are. What? But then, then you also have like Stripe with indie hackers and stuff. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of this, right? I think HubSpot with the hustle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and also their own content, right? They have a, they have a lot of their own content even outside of right. that. I think what's interesting to me is like why this is happening, and I, I think that's been pretty clear for a while, right? Is that as a software company, especially as a SaaS company, most of the growth tactics, most of the growth strategy that you've learned that most of the marketers know has come from basically the playbook that kind of was established in the late 2000s, early 2010s from what software companies mainly were at the time, VC backed companies, right? So it was all about, here's a lot of money. You've got to go and get as much market share as you can in as short as a time as possible, right? And let's say there are 100,000 potential customers out there you're not playing a long-term game to get all 100,000. What you're doing is you're trying to get the 1% of them that will sign up to all sign up within, let's say, a couple of months, right? And th then we'll think about what comes down the road later. And I think a lot of, well, I know SaaS companies, even the bootstrap ones, we, we didn't have a playbook and we basically took their playbook and did it with less money, <laughs> kind of slightly slower. And then you think about, well, how do normal companies operate? And you look at a bank or a car company and what's like their customer journey. It's not three to six weeks. It's, you know, six years, 10 years. I think for a bank, something like 18 to 20 years is like the time frame that they, they think in. And as like the software industry kind of cools down a bit and it becomes more, you know, formal, I think that is what you see happening with like this media thing basically, right? It's saying, well, maybe we don't have to like do marketing the way that we'll get the 1% of customers who will sign up like with one contact point today. What we need to do is to work out how do we get as many customers as possible over that, you know, three, maybe, maybe not like years yet, but months, one or two years, maybe for, for most companies. And some are thinking even more long-term. I think HubSpot is a great example. Stripe's a great example. Um, Wistia as well, right? They've been around for a long time and they're definitely thinking in terms of like whenever it's right for them to use a product like Wistia, they better come to us. ProfitWell is the same. Like a lot of our customers don't need, well, a lot of, sorry, a lot of our audience don't need ProfitWell yet, but when they do need something like this, we need to be the one that they trust and turn to initially. And that's super relevant for us at Sparkloop because most newsletter creators, most newsletter publishers today, they don't need a newsletter referral program. 
at some point mm. they will and when they do they should come to us right so i guess it's my kind of like my longer roundabout way of explaining the the thinking um in the loops an interesting one it, it's actually kind of it was just there as an afterthought when we started and we hadn't had time to change it so in a couple of weeks we're going to have a kind of relaunch of our website and we actually have a new newsletter launching tomorrow which is called send and grow from Sparkloop, and we also have a podcast that goes along with that uh, which will be kind of like more of our media arm but we're also investing into it more as so for us it's like super super top of funnel right we don't care if those people convert into becoming customers at some point you know in the next year in the next two years we just want everyone to know if i need a place to go and learn about newsletter growth Sparkloop is the place to go to that they are the experts whenever they need one of our products we will be the ones that they choose hopefully because we've demonstrated that they can trust us and that we know what we're talking about and they just you know they know us in effect right um yeah, yeah and i mean we so we think about it in 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 that way <laughs> i guess like we we don't have you know spark loop itself isn't a media brand but i think we have more of what I would call like a media network, hopefully, where we're going to have different series. You know, one will be like, here are short tips that I've started doing on a YouTube channel once a week, a quick tip for newsletter growth. That's kind of very self-contained with its own name. Then we have one that's the podcast. We have one that's the newsletter. We're going to have a series of playbooks coming out where they're going to have their own kind of like self-contained series names as well. And, you know, we're yeah. a very, very small lean team. So the uh, the bigger we grow, hopefully, the more we can invest into to different things there. Yeah, we didn't even talk about YouTube now. <laughs> What's your YouTube channel called? Oh, the YouTube channel is just called Sparkle, but I, uh, YouTube is not a big one okay. for us right now. I mean, it, it's something that I know nothing about as well. I think you have to kind of like, especially when you're really early stage, like like we are, you know, you have a team of maybe like, what, five, six people. You have to kind of play to your strengths and our strengths internally are definitely not video youtube yeah. uh, we, we just don't know them well enough yet yeah cool yeah i think that's really smart it kind of resonates and it's in line with like i think some of the stuff that matt and i have been talking and thinking about so yeah this is a wide-ranging conversation yeah as expected <laughs> one thing i'll add there if you don't mind just really quickly I think the the nice thing about having a a branded thing as a as a software company, right? So if you're branded as uh, Reform, for example, having a newsletter or a media entity that is branded differently with a different name, it really helps separate the two, right? And it really helps you to say, well, we don't need to be thinking about how do we funnel customers directly into Reform with that, right? You can kind of set independent goals for it and say, no, the goal for this is to provide value in like this very specific way. And I, I think that's a, a really kind of interesting side effect of, of, of branding those things differently. Yeah, I mean, I know for sure that if I was going to do anything with video, like more seriously, I would check out all of Vistia's content because I just, I know that, that that's there as its own product. And... Uh, and then I'd probably want to use Vistia as well because I would be like excited about the whole thing and like kind of wanted to do the same thing that they were doing, you know. So I think it's it's very powerful. Yeah, it's it's just I think just smart long term, smart long term growth. Cool. We'll uh, we'll add uh, links to everything uh, in the show notes that we've talked about, and um, you get you get one 
shot now if there's anything you want to mention or uh, something you just want to plug or uh, any trick or anything you think that people are missing out on or something like that anything you want to share not off the top of my head no i think uh, i think people should go through and click on your um on your review link in your profile and uh, force you to uh, to get started with the with the newsletter yeah that was a nice plug <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> no problem cool thank you so much for taking the time louisa this was uh, this was a really good conversation i learned yeah a lot. thanks for having me cool i'll uh, talk to you on twitter <laughs> see you around We'll just give a shout out to our show notes sponsor this week, which is Mailman. And Mailman is great. It allows you to control who can send you emails and when. It's a Gmail plugin, so it's super easy to set up. And it basically creates a, a buffer in front of your Gmail. And um, you should check out the link in our show notes to get a really good deal on Mailman. If you sign up for an annual plan, they'll give you 30% off. And uh, as I said, you'll find that in, in our show notes because they are a show notes sponsor. And if people are interested in sponsoring our show notes, they can click the sponsor us link on our website. 